Today on the show, y'all are looking real dry. Mm. And we've got a plan to change that. Mm-hmm. It's going to take 400 years, and you and your children and your children's children definitely won't see it. But believe it. One day, we'll all be wet. <laughs> yeah, we will. <laughs> Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. I'm Leo. And my name's Abu. Oh, and today, we're talking about Daddy Kynes. Daddy Kynes. <laughs> Our boy Pardo, not Leo. <laughs> different, different daddy. Or mommy. Different mommy? daddy. Right. Mommy Liet? <laughs> uh, depends. Yeah. <laughs> yes, today we're going to be diving into Pardo Kynes, a character that barely has a presence in either the books or the movies, but has an outsized influence yeah. on Arrakis and much of the story, which we'll get much more deeper into later today. No kidding. Yeah. Now, today's episode comes in part thanks to a listener's suggestion from... Both Matthew Fenwick and William DeGrush. Hell yeah. Thank you both for writing in. This is a fantastic episode idea, and uh, we can't wait to dive into it because there's so much goodness to talk about today. (laughs) So much more than I expected, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, honestly. (laughs) But hey, spoiler warning for today's episode. Today's episode will contain details from the first half of Dune, or if you've seen Denis Villeneuve's adaptation, that, that much. So if yep. you've read the first half of the book, or if you've seen Villeneuve's adaptation, you are 100% good to go. If you haven't yet, check it out. It won seven Oscars. It's great. <laughs> it's a great movie. And yeah, the book's wonderful too. I don't. What are you waiting yeah. for? Oh my gosh. We have a 10-part read-along series for the first book. Go do that first. You only have to listen to five of them. <laughs> But we highly recommend all 10. I think we're pretty proud of that one. It's true. (laughs) Now, a reminder that the best way to support what we do here at Gamjabar is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Gamjabar. Our patrons get real cool bonuses, Mm -hmm. like completely ad-free episodes, early access to book clubs, bonus clips and bloopers, and an invite to our exclusive Discord server where they can chat with us and fellow Dune fans. Indeed. And you know what? We've got to shout out, as always, our amazing Quisat Haderach level patrons, Kay Saken, Nate Hyde. That's right. Heck, guys, you got a plan for a green Gamja bar, and you're making it happen. <laughs> for we real. appreciate the support. I also hear they're some of the wettest guys ever. So, <laughs> so moist, both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Another great way to support the show and to get some cool Dune swag is to check out our merch at gamjabarshop.com. Right. We've got apparel, we've got stickers, we've got art, and so much more. So go check that out. Indeed. And finally, if you have any questions, if you have any feedback, thoughts on our episode, episode ideas, you know, pictures of your pets, or terraforming aspirations, Send them to us, gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach us anytime. It's an email. That's how it works. And hey, you could be the next Matthew or William. (laughs) Matthew 2, William (laughs) 2. That's right. And look, if you've got a plan for terraforming Mars, send it to us. We'll forward that shit to NASA. 
Let's yeah. make it happen, yo. Or I would say Elon, but I feel like he's not cool anymore. <laughs> some cool alternative. Some right. person. I don't know. Okay, so that takes care of housekeeping. Mm-hmm. Let's briefly go over the game plan for today's episode and talk about why Pardo is so important. Right. Because beyond the great episode idea from Matthew and William, getting to know Pardo Kynes, who is Liet Kynes' father, can honestly deepen our appreciation for the state of Arrakis Right. when we first see it through Paul's eyes at the start of the book. And it really sets the stage for so much of what takes place in the story of Dune. Right. And what Paul and Liette and so many of the other characters deal with is almost a direct result of Pardo and his plans on Arrakis. So getting to know him, his history, and what his plans were sheds that much more light on the story of Dune itself. I think also, I mean, beyond the fact that it's already going to be more than you'd expect... Like, if you just imagine, (laughs) how much effect did Pardo have on the universe of Dune? It's more than you expect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's that. I think the other side of this is we talk a lot about legacy and the sort of lineage of House Atreides. And that's good and fine. It makes a certain sense to the main main characters. But when we look at Chani, Chani is, at least in Frank's book, the daughter of Liet Kynes, who's the child of of Pardo kinds. Right. I think when we're looking at legacy and we're looking at who are the main players in Dune and where do they come from, understanding that Chani is part of Pardo's lineage, I think really deepens my appreciation for uh, the character that Chani is and the significance of her as just a human on Arrakis. Yeah. It's nuts. It's really, it's, it's wild. Definitely. I think some of the most rewarding episodes we've done on this podcast have been when we've looked at the, frankly, deep history of some of the side characters and minor characters. Yeah. I think of like the Hark Al Harba episode that we did Yeah, yeah. that was so unexpected, but gave us such amazing insight into the average citizen of the Imperium's yeah, life. He's a restaurant owner. <laughs> something something we just like don't get when you only focus on Atreides, Harkonnen, and Carino. You know? Yeah, that's true. Now, quick disclaimer, before we get into this discussion about Pardo, right. we will be focusing today's conversation primarily on Frank's writing as our primary source, as always, right. and the Dune Encyclopedia as the secondary source, as second-tier canon. Yes. It's worth noting that Brian Herbert has written about Pardo's life and his early time on Arrakis leading up to the birth of his son, Liette. But because a lot of that actually pretty dramatically contradicts what Frank and the encyclopedia wrote, we won't be considering Brian's works, at least in today's conversation. Yeah. And we say it contradicts it. There are elements of those books that contradict Frank's writings. You'll notice if you've read House of Trades, yeah. <laughs> you'll notice... There's also a lot of similarities. Yeah. And uh, similar narrative beats written by a whole different human 30 years prior to Brian's book. Right. And to that, we have no comment. None at all. No comment at the moment. We'll probably talk about it eventually. But if you want to hear us have that conversation or if you want to hear us talk about Brian Herbert's books, let us know. Send us an email. We're always we're always listening. For sure. You could be Matthew 2 or William 2. Or William 3. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. With all of that out of the way, 
Let's now take a short break. Mm -hmm. But folks, don't go anywhere. Trust us. You're going to want to stick around for this discussion. (laughs) We're talking about Pardo Daddy Kinds right after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everybody. Pardo Kinds. He's a character we only hear about in Dune. We don't really see him. Yeah. We see him for a brief second during kind of Liet's last moments in Frank's book, obviously not in Villeneuve's adaptation. But even though we only see him as kind of a hallucination in those moments in the book, we really do become familiar with the man kind of as a secondhand byproduct because we're experiencing the whole time his dream, right? His dream for a green Arrakis. Right. And the effects of his plans and his planning. Totally. And really to understand the man behind the dream, we have to turn back the clock. Right. So we're going to talk about his birth and his life leading up to being stationed on Arrakis, and then ultimately we'll work through his life up to the moment of his death. Right. The whole story. Yep. That's right. So Perdo Kynes, his story begins all the way back in the year 10,121 AG. Right. This is 70 years before the events of the first Dune book, for those of you counting. Right. And Pardo is born on the planet Paseo to his father, Laius, and his mother, Marique. I'm butchering those names. Marque? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know, you write it out, and then you look at it, and you go, yeah, Le- Louis and yeah. Marique? Very French yes. looking. They look like <laughs> French names. Now, Luis was a botanist specializing in transferring plants between planets, which is pretty useful in an intergalactic civilization. Right. And Marique, which, uh, man, that is probably not the way it's said. The more times I say it, the more (laughs) self-conscious I'm getting. But we'll just move on and we'll hear about it in 20 emails. It's okay. They're they're not going to be around long. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Uh, Was a biologist who, and this is fucking nuts for anybody who knows about the Benny Tleilax. They did their post-grad <laughs> with the Benny Tleilax. Amazing. In secret. Yeah. Because, yeah, you can't be like, oh, where'd you do your postdoc? You go, uh, <laughs> you, you haven't heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. And you noted this in the script, and I think you're right. This may be the first time at, in the encyclopedia in our hundreds of hours of research that we've come across the encyclopedia saying something sort of nice about the Benny Tleilax. Yeah. We don't know that this postgrad went terribly. Sounds like it <laughs> right. went fine. Wasn't emotionally <laughs> scarring and bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently the Benny Tleilax secretly have a solid, reputable postgrad thing. Because, hey, this is the thing to keep in mind. Pardo's parents 
were among the most prominent members of the scientific community on planet Paseo, right? Yeah. They are cream of the crop, you know, visionaries. They are revered for their abilities, their knowledge, their worldliness, all that. Mm -hmm. So to think that one of these people studied with the Benny Tleilax, you got to think <laughs> maybe the Benny Tleilax like actually have some very passionate teachers. I don't know. Seems hard maybe. to imagine, but there it is. It's a fact. Yeah. Do with that fact what you will, folks. I personally still think they're gross. <laughs> oh, yeah. The mess hall at uh, the Benny Tleilax College is terrible. <laughs> I'll point out here, I couldn't really find anything else about Planet Paseo, but if you look through the Dune Encyclopedia or if you do like a word search, you'll see that institutions, various universities and and I guess places that are publishing scientific journals mm -hmm. are often referenced and, and referenced as sources for other articles in the Dune Encyclopedia. So the sense that I get is that this is like a UC Berkeley or like a Harvard where yeah. it's a it's a research school. They have accredited galactic influence on the scientific community. Point is, Pardo's parents were smart cookies. Brightest yes. bulbs in the potato bag or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that expression will never make sense to me. I'll always just pause and be like, what? The sharpest forks in the cabinet of drawers. <laughs> yes, that one made a bit more sense to me. <laughs> now, Pardo was an only child, yeah. and he immediately took after his parents. Yeah. And very little, in fact, is written about his childhood in the Dune Encyclopedia. And when I say very little, I mean Almost zero. <laughs> yeah. Because the encyclopedia immediately jumps from him being born and an only child who had a passion for science right. to the moment where he enrolls in the Imperial University on Khaitan at the ripe old age yep. of 15 years old, folks. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's one of those things. On one hand, I want to know more about his childhood. But on the other hand, enrolling at the unparalleled university on the imperial capital uh, at 15 yeah. means that his childhood was probably a lot of books, <laughs> uh -huh. a, lot a lot of, of homework, just like, a lot of homework, just a lot of studying. And even the way it's worded in the Dune Encyclopedia it sounds to me like Pardo was probably ready to go to this university earlier, but 15 was the minimum age of enrollment Yeah, listed as the minimum age. So was our dude out here at like 12 years old, like, oh, come on, just burning down the clock, like waiting? Yeah. I don't know. I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think so too. Yeah. Now his focus at the university for the next six grueling years of his education was in planetary ecology. Right. Which, of course, he becomes famous for, as we all know. Makes a certain sense, yeah. He was, in fact, so focused on learning and growing his base of knowledge that he basically did nothing else in college but study. Right. Here's how the Dune Encyclopedia puts it. Right. Quote, Kynes did not even visit his homeworld during this period seeing his parents only when they arranged to travel to the university, end quote. My guy's too busy for friends, for family, for frolicking, for fornication, y'all. <laughs> planetary ecology is all that he cares about. You mean to tell me planetary ecology is not a sexy subject? <laughs> you don't think he was pulling in the dames with those heavy textbooks? Um, you know, 
No. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not, no. Now, this leads up to just an incredible little anecdote. And this is tragic, but fascinating. Yeah. His choosing to study on Kaiden, right, and to, to go to the imperial capital, and also never basically visiting home, saved his life, 100%. Yeah. The same cannot be said for his parents, which is brutal. Uh, R.I.P. R.I.P. Here's the story. Basically, the Planetary University on Paseo, and again, think about like UC Berkeley or Stanford or, or something like that. In the year 10,141, so this is when Pardo is 20, he's in school still, he's, he's like second to last year in school, a guest speaker at the Planetary University on Paseo accidentally released a few Ikazian glow spores. Uh-oh. Which we did an episode on Ikaz. Ikaz is 90% very deadly. <laughs> Whole planet, <laughs> super deadly. Right. 10% very useful. Super but useful. 90% mortally dangerous. 10%, 10% really fun drugs. 90% <laughs> will end your whole civilization. Yeah. So yep. the Ikazian glow spores, these were released by accident in the main hall on campus. And this became known later on as the infamous Milburn Lecture. Uh. And it resulted in the death of, quote, three thousand students oh my God. faculty members and guest attendees kinds's parents among them end quote uh so literally pardo is 20 years old and listen if he had been even just visiting home 100 percent, he'd have gone to this fascinating guest lecturer from ecas are you kidding me he would have been there yeah and I kept expecting another paragraph from the Dune Encyclopedia to be like, and this is how it affected young Pardo. No, uh-huh. it just fucking moves on. <laughs> the Dune Encyclopedia is like, yeah, he's an orphan now. He's 20 years old. Parents anyway. both dead. Anyway, let's talk about his graduation. It's insane. Yeah. But a fascinating peek into the sorts of tragedies that can exist in the Dune universe, especially with a fucking chaotic sphere like ecas out in the yeah <laughs> the depths of space for real for real <laughs> anyway let's move on to the year 10142 yeah the next year yeah the next year where pardo graduates naturally as the head of his class of, of course. course naturally obviously we all knew that was going to happen <laughs> duh valedictorian he <laughs> celibate that's how he does it <laughs> <laughs> no fornication zero Negative women. (laughs) (laughs) Now, after graduating, he immediately enters Imperial Service as a research assistant. Sure. And is sent to an ecological survey station. You'll never guess where. (laughs) I don't know. On ECAS. Death Sphere? Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Right out of college. His first gig. (laughs) Planet that killed his parents. (laughs) Nice. Love it. Oh my gosh. The guy ends up there there's some like unaddressed trauma happening here oh, totally. between the lines. Yeah. But yeah. right after graduation, our guy heads straight to ECAS as a research assistant and ends up spending two whole years there honing his craft and continuing to impress his peers. I'll reiterate here. 
Listen to our ECAS episode if you haven't. Yeah. Picturing two years being stationed on ECAS sounds like a death sentence, but that's just because we talked all about the things that ECAS has on it. It's nuts. It's yeah. nuts. That's crazy. Now, after he completes his two years on ECAS, he is then transferred to another ecological survey station on a planet called Topaz. Oh. And he also gets a nice little promotion, hopefully a bit of a pay bump to go with it. Mm -hmm. And he is no longer an assistant, but a full-fledged researcher. Right. And he kind of continues on the grind. He's a young man at the start of his career, extremely passionate about planetary ecology. And so he's out here continuing to learn and grow his reputation among his peers. And in fact, a few years later, by 10,147 AG, he becomes the head of the largest survey station on Topaz. He's kind of worked his way up the corporate ladder. Yeah. Keep in mind, that's a pretty hefty title to hand to someone who at this point is only 26 years old. Yeah. Kind of makes me feel bad about what I'm doing with my life. (laughs) Right. Especially I'm at 32 now. I'm like, man, I don't have any control over any survey stations of any planets. This is terrible. I'm so behind. Now, as a quick note about his reputation at this point in his life, uh, and this is both professional and personal, yeah, he's brilliant. He is considered by many to be like one of the brightest, shining intellectual lights in the universe, one of the leading minds of his generation. But also, <laughs> he was considered universally cold and also distant. <laughs> and This next little paragraph hits, it just hits so close to home. Uh, I decided we should probably just share it in full. Yeah. So here we go. This is from the Dune Encyclopedia. Quote, in reality, it was not aloofness which prompted Kynes to so often remove himself from the company of others. It was, rather, a sense of time passing in which he had too much to accomplish to permit himself any distractions. His friends accepted this attitude. His enemies did not. (laughs) <laughs> and Kynes himself refused to let it concern him. Oh, my God. End quote. Now, okay, listen. I know, I know that this, just timeline-wise, this Dune Encyclopedia was written like 20 years before I was born. This is not a personal attack from the Dune Encyclopedia towards me and my uh-huh. social patterns. <laughs> but also, how dare the Dune Encyclopedia personally attack me and my social yeah. patterns? <laughs> So savage, rude, and to everybody that I haven't texted back over the last uh-huh. decade, I'm sorry. <laughs> decade. See the above paragraph. <laughs> it's not personal. I'm just right. busy. It's just the existential dread of time passing and too much needing to be accomplished. I have too much to be a. Co- I have to accomplish a lot, and also I can't <laughs> let it concern me. So I'm sorry. Right. right. He'll get back to you, Mom, okay? Mom, Jesus, what is it, Mother's Day yesterday? (laughs) (laughs) Boo-hoo. Just kidding, we FaceTimed. (laughs) Uh, That's good, that's great. I called my mom too. Nice. So that covers the early life of Pardo Kynes. Right. (laughs) His birth, his college years, the death of his parents, and the start of his career that kind of launches him into the rest of his life. Let's now transition into basically what is phase two of Pardo's life. Right. And let's now talk about some of the events that lead him to Arrakis and to this assignment to a planet that, quite frankly, changes his life forever. 
Yeah. <laughs> and the state of the galaxy, as it turns out. <laughs> yeah, everybody's lives forever, I guess. <laughs> this all begins basically with Pardo getting the personal attention of at-the-time Emperor Elru IX. This is 10,148 AG, and Pardo saves the day. He's a hero. With kind of a cool, subtle solution. Actually, that would make his parents proud. Yeah. Basically, back on Ikaz, there's this dangerous growth called the Katha fungus, which to me sounds like an Elden Ring enemy, uh, because that's <laughs> what I've been playing recently, which began threatening the planet's fogwood crop. And, well, we've talked about fogwood before, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of Ikaz's most important economic exports, and the Katha fungus was about to destroy it all, right? Right. This extremely valuable fogwood was at danger of going extinct. Yeah. And Perdo Kynes comes swooping in with a solution. He recommends that Ikaz imports a spore called Quen's fungus mm -hmm. in order to halt this plague. And it totally worked. It worked perfectly. Yeah. This fungus basically outcompeted the threat of this plague without harming the fogwood and basically neutralized the threat of this plague. Right. This pleased House Zaitan. Zaitan, right? right? That's how <laughs> yeah, we're... I don't know. Uh, Hitan, if it was uh, Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. X-I-T-A-N. So yeah. yeah. Zaitan? Yeah, I think I'll go with Zaitan. Listen, if you're from House Zaitan... Write to us. Let us know how it's yeah. said. <laughs> this pleased House Zaitan, the family currently in charge of Planet Ecaz, so much that they formally commended Pardo. And as we stated, this got the attention of Emperor Elrude the Ninth as well, who decided to give him the position of Imperial Planetologist for Arrakis. Whoa. <laughs> Dang. Which is, frankly, an honor. Yeah, no kidding. One of the most important planets in the entire Imperium, getting to be the planetologist, the Imperial planetologist for that planet, is something Pardo didn't think twice about. Right. He immediately accepted the position, and thus off he went to start his new job and new life on Arrakis. Now, following a very similar pattern in Pardo's life, he took to his new job with a gusto. He, yeah. <laughs> he worked Real hard, dedicated every ounce of his being to learning and studying and understanding the kind of finer points of that new planet's ecology, basically. Mm -hmm. As always, haters will hate. His critics were like, bro, Ugh. he's 28. You're giving him the whole fucking planet? Are you kidding me? But as always, Pardo didn't give them any clout. He didn't name them. He didn't give them any power or whatever that song is that's going around on TikTok. <laughs> he had hot scientist shit to do. Yes. Still celibate. <laughs> Still <laughs> focused on science. But also, at this point, Arrakis is controlled by House Harkonnen, right? We know that at the beginning of Dune, they had had it for 80 years. So at this point, Pardo is an imperial employee, but also working alongside House Harkonnen, who has official fiefdom of the planet. Mm -hmm. And their relationship was not great. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. No. Right. <laughs> I mean, the Harkonnens, notably, control freaks. Yeah. yeah. And 
they demanded this is actually absurd like reading this i got mad <laughs> yeah uh-huh they demanded <laughs> that pardo had to be accompanied by one of the house guards at all times oh so helpful thank you house harkonnen yes love a chauffeur <laughs> love a chauffeur love yeah. a babysitter that yeah. which is what this sounds like like house harkonnen is like here's a babysitter we're assigning to you 24 7 also like a block-headed violent babysitter i mean not to like <laughs> disparage every employee of house harkonnen maybe they're good house guards but yeah that just sounds terrible. Clearly, we hate this proposition, and Pardo hated it as well. Right. And his entire goal with Arrakis was just to learn as much as he could about what, honestly, like he started to consider, quote-unquote, his planet. Right. And he wanted to be left alone. Like He didn't want to deal with this Harkonnen bullshit. He didn't want to deal with the politics of it all. He didn't want a babysitter, of course. He just wanted to come in do his job, and learn as much as he could. Right. His first and only passion, yeah. as we've established, celibate, was science. <laughs> and yeah. he had hot scientist shit to do. He had yes. no time for this Harkonnen <laughs> politics bullshit. Right. And so what he does is, uh, honestly, what I would have done too, just basically take every chance possible to dodge his babysitter. Yeah. To find some reason to get away from him. The Dune Encyclopedia tells us this, that Pardot, quote, determined that the rulers of his planet would obtain as little information from him regarding its workings as he could provide, end quote. Man, okay, even reconsidering this as we're recording now, think about how ignorant House Harkonnen is about planet Arrakis. That's another thing that Pardot actively chose. Yeah, Imagine if Pardo had told House Harkonnen how many Fremen he discovered. Would have changed the plot of Dune entirely. Mm -hmm. right? That's nuts. And it's just him being petty. He's like, fuck right. these guys with their chauffeur <laughs> bullshit. I'm not telling them Jack diddly. Yeah. What did I learn today? Nothing. There's sand, I guess. And Harkonnen's like, yeah, yeah. That sounds, sounds about like what we expected. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh -huh. amazing. I love it. Yeah. So the lesson we're learning here today is be petty. Be. It could, it could save the galaxy someday. Be petty. Pettiness saves universes. It's true. <laughs> now, another point of tension between Pardo and House Harkonnen, and this is to that point, basically, was the difference in their evaluation of planet Arrakis, right? At this point, House Harkonnen is like, Arrakis is a hellhole. This place sucks. It's dry. There's sand. It's coarse. It gets everywhere. It's also very hot, <laughs> and there's giant worms. It's not a great place. Fit only for economic exploitation and, you know, this pesky indigenous population, the gross, filthy Fremen. Ugh, they're a menace, and there's not that many of them. Pardo, meanwhile, is like... This is just another planet with interacting systems and people and customs and culture. And he sees the planet's potential. He starts seeing some of these systems interacting in a way where he is realizing that the planet has the ability to be a gentler, wetter world. The green Arrakis that we hear about. Pardo's dream begins to form in these first years as he's starting to examine these ecological forces. But he also just doesn't agree with the Harkonnen evaluation. 
that this is a shitty waste of a planet. He's like, no, it's beautiful. Right. And it's got all this potential, which I respect. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah. He sees the beauty of Arrakis in a way that the Harkonnens are simply incapable of. Right. Because of his love of science and because of his studies, he sees the potential that Arrakis has. And it's worth noting here, actually, that Pardo wrote a number of books in his lifetime as well, and his most famous text, called The Ecology of Dune, was published around this time, in 10,150 AG. Right. And it's obvious that our guy really hit the ground running. Yeah. Just a few years after being assigned to Arrakis, he had already done enough research and learned enough about the planet to write what would become one of his most famous books yeah. on the ecology of Dune. Yeah. There are some details we're not including from the Dune Encyclopedia here, but it is worth mentioning that one of the things that Pardo did in his years of professional work is he wrote these books that became literally the definitive texts for interplanetary ecology and planetary ecology for the galaxy. Yeah. So just in general, we, want, we wanted to highlight this book also because this book is published in, right, 10,150 AG. We are now jumping to 10,151 AG, so obviously wanted to keep the timeline clean. For sure. So let's jump ahead. To 10,151 AG. Sounds good. This is the year where Pardo has made a major decision. Right. Based on what he has learned thus far about Arrakis, he realizes that the Fremen would be the key to his dream of a green Arrakis. Right. He is now dreaming of changing the entire face of this planet. And these people, these indigenous people, are the key to unlocking that. Right. For a couple of reasons. First off, it's obvious to him that the Fremen are clearly capable of working in the desert and even within the deep desert. And they have this almost innate ecological sensibility. Right. They know this planet in a way that the Harkonnens simply do not. Yeah. And they live and work with this planet in a way where they are part of its ecosystem. Right. Whereas the Harkonnens are very much almost this like, parasitic outsider just leeching off of the planet i think about that scene of paul in the ornithopter in the coriolis storm and the Jameis quotes and of course yeah again kind of a mixture of things from the book but that one does not understand the flow of a system by stopping it you you like move with the flow and that idea of the fremen understanding the flow of even if it is a brutal environment sure how does it move and how do we move with it? Right. Yeah. Totally. That's so cool. Reason number two that the Fremen are critical to Pardo's dream is uh, they don't give a shit about the Harkonnens. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> Which Pardo obviously agrees with as well. But the Fremen take it a bit further because they'll happily kill any Harkonnen that is snooping too close to one of their sieges or right. too deep into the desert or, frankly, anywhere where the Fremen think they don't belong. Right. And that is the type of secrecy that his plan for a green Arrakis would need. This, like, airtight security that the Fremen have on the deep desert. Yeah. I think, I think Pardo is sensitive to the fact that people in power, especially ignorant people in power, probably don't look upon vast change as a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so 
may be the people who will kill anybody who gets near them. Maybe they're good. Yeah. Maybe they're good for <laughs> this kind of secrecy. Yeah, for sure. Right. Totally. The status quo always benefits the people in power. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so Pardo makes up his mind. He is going to snoop around where he doesn't belong. <laughs> sure. In an attempt to basically get close to a Fremen siege or a Fremen community and get in touch with them, make contact, and then win them over. He is going to sell them on his dream. The balls on this man. The confidence it's on this man. Earth-shattering confidence. I cannot fathom. <laughs> now, his opportunity to see a Fremen siege basically came soon after. Uh, you know, the universe is smiling on this dude. Yeah. Literally, later in the year, 10,151, not long after, he had dodged his Harkonnen chauffeur, as always, because he was like, fuck that. And he was out by the village of Windsack. Haven't heard of it? Sounds nice. He came upon six armed Harkonnen men, basically, who were bullying slash probably about to murder three young Fremen. And uh, he saw an opportunity to kind of get involved. So he very casually kind of slipped into the numbers. No one really even noticed that he had joined the fray. I guess it was a little chaotic. And he killed two of the Harkonnen men. Amazing. With a slip tip. Right. A reminder, a scientist who may or may not have actually slept with anyone yet. <laughs> Still a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> Killing just ran. I don't have a sense that he's killed that many people at this point. Are these his first two kills? He's Holy a shit. fucking scientist. That's a good point. This is bonkers to me, but whatever. He kills two Harkonnens before anybody really notices he's there. Now, the Fremen take this as their cue and they take out two uh, Harkonnen themselves. So the six is diminished very quickly to two remaining Harkonnens. Uh, one Fremen did get badly injured. So we have two Fremen who are okay. One Fremen's badly injured. Pardo took out one of the remaining Harkonnen men and then basically went straight to attending the wounds of the kid, right? Applying first aid, making sure the Fremen kid was taken care of. The other two Fremen finished off the Harkonnen guards, the Harkonnen men only to find that Pardo had basically saved the, the life of their comrade, of their friend. Yeah. And now <laughs> they're in sort of a weird place. The Dude Encyclopedia makes it clear if they were older Fremen, if they were like adult Fremen, they'd be like, well, he's still an off-worlder. Let's just kill him now and move on with our day. But because they were young, they're like, I think this one off-worlder just saved three Fremen lives, basically. How do we repay that water debt? Right. Like, what? we don't know what to do. So they turned to their elders and they brought Liet with them. <laughs> so they were like, all right, let's take him to this unnamed siege. And uh, this overlooks Wind Pass. And let's see what our elders have to say about this fucking offworlder who <laughs> seems totally comfortable killing Arkanen. Yeah. What a story. It's so clear that when Pardo puts his mind to something, he makes it happen. 
be it studying. Simple as that. Or murder. <laughs> or murder. Like nothing, nothing will stand between him and his goal. And he wanted to meet the Fremen. He wanted entry into a siege. Here he is, folks. Yeah, it's true. Two, maybe three murders later and <laughs> saving the life of one kid is all it took. Easy. And he is on his way to meet the Fremen and finally see a siege for the first time. And? Well, you'll just have to wait to find out what happened next because we're going to take a quick oh. break. <laughs> I know. Such teases. Stick around. We'll be right back. Pardo made it to a siege and there's so much more to his story. You won't want to miss it. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, folks. Let's talk about what happens when Pardo arrives at this siege. Because, trust us, you will not believe what he starts doing when he gets there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pardo immediately starts lecturing the Fremen on a bunch of different <laughs> subjects. He just start, starts geeking out about ecology and Arrakis and all of his studies and what he's learned and his dream of changing the face of Arrakis. All of this could come off as like super sort of white man mansplainy. But <laughs> yeah. honestly, like the Fremen are kind of enraptured by this. They're like, whoa, this this guy's like speaking our language. Like, yeah, we want water on the surface of Arrakis. We're sick of this desert life. It's tough out here. We want luxury. <laughs> And this, like, impromptu lecture on a bunch of different ecological topics and things like poverty grasses and the trees best suited for greenery really strike the Fremen imagination in a way that immediately convinces a lot of them. Yeah. Even even on first introduction with this weird, overly confident off-worlder Pardo. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm also struck with, like... That's me at parties when people are like, oh, I don't know what Dune is. And I'm like, well, let me start by telling, you know, and <laughs> my hope is that it just is so impressive yeah. that I win over everybody immediately. But right, right. honestly, it's probably yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> he, he really does win over quite a few people right away. But the Fremen elders are deciding what to do about this off-worlder who has now seen a Fremen siege, which is kind of a problem. But he's also like lecturing wide open. No defense, no concern for his safety. Very strange, very weird. And although he seems kind of cool for an off-worlder and he's saying some pretty good stuff, yeah, he should probably die. So they decide, <laughs> uh, we'll kill him. Tried and true method, kill the people who get too close. That's the strat. And the job was given to someone named Uliet. That's right. This is where Uliet enters our story. Right. And what he does is so critical to how the rest of Pardo's life and, frankly, how the rest of Dune unfolds. Right. Because Uliet is tasked with just one job. <laughs> Knife this fucking guy. Right. <laughs> and so Uliet approaches Kynes with the intention to kill him. Knife in hand. Right. Pardo Kynes, on the other hand, 
Couldn't give two shits. Does not care. Not bothered at all. <laughs> He's busy lecturing. <laughs> Celibate. <laughs> he, it, is being a virgin how you get that kind of confidence? <laughs> I, it's been a long time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he is busy still lecturing. He is out here still talking the ears off of any Fremen who will listen. Yeah. And this is how the Dune Encyclopedia puts it. Right. Apparently, quote, the ecologist merely paused between sentences when Uliet approached. Remove yourself, he told his appointed executioner, then turned, <laughs> leaving his back open. End quote. <laughs> the gall. The gall <laughs> to see this man approach with knife in hand, murder in his eyes, <laughs> and to only pause your lecture long enough to tell him to remove himself right. and then continue your lecture. Incredible. Right. Does it work, though? That's the question. I mean, it, it, basically, yeah. <laughs> Astoundingly, yeah. Uh, Uli, it's like, that is so unreasonable. <laughs> like, <laughs> this experience has been very much not what I pictured my day going like. And Uliet decides in that moment, and really in a lot of ways, this shifts the whole galaxy. Uliet decides this moment is so unexplainable by my understanding of people's desire not to be knifed in the fucking back. Yeah, right. Probably this is a sign from Shai Halud. Probably this is a sign from God that he should not die. And in all seriousness, I, I do think about how, you know, when Jessica and Paul arrive on Dune, they talk about how the Missionaria Protectiva has kind of softened the Fremen to ideas of off-worlders being the Lisan al-Gaib, or Mahdi, right? Right, like these yep. off-worlder, external chosen ones, these messiahs who are speakers for Shai Hulud and who are prophets, right? Yeah, totally. I do think that this is part of, this is what's happening here. Like, I think Uliet is like, here is a guy who fits the pattern of being an off-worlder who's saying good stuff and honestly... Am I going to be the one to stab the prophet? I cannot live with that possibility. And so I'll make a Fremen decision, capital F, capital D, and I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. And so he falls upon his own knife and <laughs> fucking Pardo over there doesn't even stop talking. My God. <laughs> even as Uliet's body is carried off by the two people, by the way, who were prepared to carry off Pardo's body. They are also like, well, that was not what we were expecting. Right. That, this is a hard pivot. What's happening? What a, what a twist. Where is, where is Shyamalan hiding in this moment? <laughs> Nave M. Night Shyamalan of right. Seach shitty movies. <laughs> he was dead the whole time. He was dead the whole time. <laughs> I will pause for a moment. Super fun fact here. Yeah. Uliet is Othame's father. Oh, my God. What? With an H? Yeah. Othame. Othame, one of the most prominent of the Fadakin, is the son of Uliet. It's incredible and also creates this pattern of, right, Uliet serving, dedicating his life and, and his life being shifted by a voice from the outer world. Well, same for Othame. Right. Holy smokes. Holy smokes. Look at these patterns, these lineages that aren't just the Atreides. 
We have yeah. families of Fremen and these significant characters in Fremen society who we meet. And it's like almost a coincidence where you go, oh, wow, it's Othame again. I guess Othame just happened to be there. Right. <laughs> and I guess he just happened to be a Fadakin. No, Othame is a prominent member of Fremen society because his father was the one who marked Pardo as a prophet. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's incredible. It's incredible. And so thematically consistent. Yeah. This is the kind of small detail that makes the encyclopedia and Frank's universe and Frank's books just so amazing and part of why we love them so much. Now, as this shockingly weird scene plays out in front of everybody, <laughs> right. Uliette falling on his own knife, Pardo continuing to lecture, not giving Uliette's body a second glance. Right. All the gathered Fremen and the rest of the troop in this siege basically agree that this was a sign from Shai Halud. Right. Nothing else could explain how immensely weird this series of events was. And this leads them to basically come to the conclusion that Pardo knows what he's talking about. This wild crackpot dream of changing Arrakis and turning it into a lush green planet full of flowing water right. is meant to happen. This is These are the words of the prophet. And these are visions that can come true. Right. And again, to your point from earlier, a lot of this does reek of Benny Gesserit tampering, of Missionaria Protectiva, of planting legends. Yeah. I do also want to pause and say, though, that some of our listeners might recall that back in the uh, House of Trades comic book episodes, right. we talked about this scene taking place because this scene takes place in the comic book as well right basically beat for beat exactly what happens here happens in the comic yeah and back then we criticized it because it felt like a scene that diminishes the fremen as this really sort of gullible group of people who will follow any off-worlder that shows up and acts a little confident <laughs> right and to be fair if we were critical of the scene back when we thought brian wrote it we should be critical of it here when we realize that oh, the, this scene is actually pulled almost one for one directly from the Dune Encyclopedia. Right. And I, I, I at least do stand by my original analysis of the scene, that it, it feels so incredibly weird and almost like a copy of Paul's story. It, it feels like a lazy recycling of the Paul-Messiah mythological story of the offworlder that wins over the Fremen. And it does really in my estimation, paint the Fremen as these overly mystical, naive, almost foolish people. Like, it almost makes them caricatures of themselves. Right, right. Like, you're telling me no one in this siege was like, what the fuck just happened here? Like, where's the one skeptical <laughs> Fremen who's like, wait, no, what? We Let's kill this guy. Yeah, I, I agree. I do think it's something about the way the Dune Encyclopedia is written and seeing it presented this way. What strikes me is this pattern of the Fremen seeing that there is one God and one plan that God has for the Fremen and for Arrakis and multiple prophets coming along who fit within that plan. And that being the pattern, right? Like yeah. that they follow Pardo initially and he's the first. And then Pardo's son or daughter, Liette, continues carrying the mantle and that, and we'll talk about that in a future episode. But then also that this, Paul shows up who says, I see a green Arrakis. And they go, holy shit. Wait, do you know about Pardo? No, you couldn't. Okay, maybe he's on the same wavelength. So I see a deeply religious people who are not a caricature following these 
plot beats and it being fine. I think that it was not helped that the comic treatment of this narrative was very clunky, (laughs) not super well written and presented. (laughs) And again, him pausing to say, remove yourself and then turning his back is pointed out here versus in the comic. He's like, remove yourself in like caps and italics. And it's like, yeah, we're like, did he just use the voice? What the fuck is happening? This isn't explained. And even Uliet's part of, is this the voice of God? You know, is he a prophet? That just isn't in the comic. They just don't get, give that there. So I'm still pretty comfortable <laughs> maintaining a very critical stance on the comic and not as much this, but I will 100% agree. I personally wish that Pardo's way of ingratiating himself to the Fremen and also his way to basically be accepted and his like rallying of the Fremen, I wish it were different. Yeah. I wish it were something else. <laughs> but I do think the comic fucking sucks. <laughs> that, it does. That, that no argument of, there, yeah. <laughs> good Lord. That's <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Yeah, and I, I really do like your point about almost that prophetic lineage of Pardo to Liette to Paul. This right. like passing of the torch of this dream right. that frankly is started here by Pardo. Yeah. So I, I really do like that idea of the cyclical imagery and the way the Fremen may have viewed this like dream being passed from one prophet to the next. So I, I like I like that interpretation a lot. I mean that's how prophets work, right? Like that's yeah, in real right. religions. <laughs> that's the idea. So seeing that inhabited thirty thousand years from now makes a certain amount of sense. Yeah, totally. Now, Pardo's plan for a green Arrakis begins terribly. (laughs) (laughs) Does not start off well. Uh, He basically is like, okay, we got to settle the deep desert. In order to do what I want to do, we have to have southern uh, settlements around 40 degrees southern latitude. And, And this is an area that has never before been inhabited that we know of. So he sent a tribe. He was like, go on, go uh, settle that area. (laughs) They all died. Oh, my God. Every single one except for two messengers. (laughs) And I'm sure the messengers were like, we have a message for you. He's like, what is it? They're like, everyone's dead. (laughs) (laughs) What other message were you expecting? They they did have, like, reports of, like, what they found, what happened, what led to everyone dying. Yeah. Brutal. So he made a packing list. He was like, all right. I hear you. I hear your feedback. Right. Let's try to aim for fewer dead this time. Extra granola bars. Extra granola bars. The nature's valley. The extra crummy ones. The ones that explode when you open them. (laughs) Especially. Right. 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 He sent a second tribe. (laughs) He was like, go ahead. Go ahead, second tribe. The balls on this second tribe. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is really (laughs) a testament to their belief in him as a prophet. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, can you imagine? Wait, I'm sorry, where are we going? Oh, the place where the last tribe died? Okay. Oh, extra granola bars. Okay. (laughs) I'm sold. You should have led with that. Lead with that. The Nature's Valley ones? The 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 crumbs? Oh, love them. Great. (laughs) They leave my mouth so dry. It's wonderful. (laughs) So the second tribe is 150 Fremen. And luckily... Thank God 
Only half of them died. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> but the other half, the remaining 75, established the first ever settlement at that latitude, which ended up being key. Yeah, exactly. And so as Pardo is sending off people to get murked by the desert left and right, <laughs> right, he begins to get the Fremen involved with his own studies. Right. He brings them to the ecological testing stations and he teaches them what he knows and learns from them. And there's this like Skillshare happening at this point. Right. Probably for the first time. Like, I'm sure the Fremen have never been approached by the Harkonnens <laughs> to like learn more about the planet. True. And all of this actually is happening completely under the Harkonnens' noses. They have no idea that Perdo is out here working so closely with the Fremen. Right. And this relationship has a lot of great benefits. I mean, having the Fremen so involved in his plan means that Pardo can now begin equipping them with his own knowledge, his own tools, things that they don't have access to or cannot manufacture in the desert themselves. Right. And he can start working on the first baby steps toward his dream, which is creating the water basins. Right. The ones we learn about in the book that are so critical to preserving and gathering water underneath the desert in order to change Arrakis forever. And so this is the start of that plan. This is where the rituals around these water basins begin and where they become almost these sacred places. No matter how thirsty, the Dune Encyclopedia is very explicit about this, no matter how thirsty or on the verge of death a Fremen might be, they would never desecrate and drink from one of these water basins. Right. Like it was considered a matter of the soul, it's pointed out. So like, yeah. if you were to succumb to that thirst, you would be sacrificing your eternal soul. Yeah. Whatever that means kind of in uh, Fremen, the Fremen religion. Exactly. Which is also worth noting, like this is still 40 years before the beginning of Dune. And this is the beginning of the water basins. Right. I think we also gave Brian shit for that. <laughs> For like the timeline of, are you telling me that the Fremen collected millions of gallons of water in just 30 years, 40 years? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know what? Sorry, Brian. I apologize. Seems like this is uh, just something from the Dune Encyclopedia. And uh, yeah, I guess it was just that fast. Right. And again, testament to the Fremen's restraint that they were not dipping into this or not. They were just single-mindedly setting up these, what are they called, wind traps <laughs> in <laughs> in Dune Spice Wars. Yeah. Building their wind traps and uh, gathering their water. Yeah, totally. It's a testament to how effective this relationship with the Fremen was. Pardo thought the Fremen could help him achieve it, and it seems like they can. There's also, also another relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of relationships, actually... <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, uh, we might have to stop making our celibate joke. Yeah. Because at this time, around this time, Pardo fell in love with a Fremen named Mitha. Hey, Mitha. I love that name, actually. It's a great name. Yeah. Uh, also, fell in love seems like strong verbiage. I don't know if I stand by those words, but we'll see. Right. In a place called, you might have heard of it, Seach Tabur. Hell yeah. Hell yeah familiar stomping grounds and at this point his life basically falls into a pretty stable pattern of research i'm sure he was happy with that now 
this portion of the Dune Encyclopedia is basically dedicated to how he's kind of unraveling this puzzle of planet Arrakis and how he is solving all of these problems and like what plants to try and all that. It's so detailed. Yeah. And we very easily could have gotten lost in the weeds, so to speak, pun intended. Uh, But we're going to summarize. We'll just say that this period in his life is just all research and studies and gathering samples and different experiments aimed at stabilizing the ecosystem of those southern areas. And the Dune Encyclopedia summarizes his dedication during this time thusly. Okay. Quote, Kynes worked like a madman, correlating data between groups, performing his own research, and doing the social dances required to keep the Harkonnens, and the Emperor, ignorant of the real purpose of his work. If the strain tired him, he never revealed it to his Fremen, who had come to consider him one of their Uma, the Brotherhood of Prophets. It made no difference to Kynes what he was called, so long as progress was made. End quote. Incredible. They're like, you're a prophet. He's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> sure. <laughs> cool. Here's how you set up a wind trap. Call me whatever you want. Just set this up the right way. Sure. <laughs> it is quite shocking to see how little he like cared about his own prophethood, I guess. Or it, it, it almost feels like Pardo was a man without ego. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't out here trying to like prove anything about himself to anyone. He was legitimately out here only trying to achieve his goals. That's a great point. <laughs> he kind of achieved the prophethood that Paul had to actively lean into. Yeah. Just by being like, yeah, whatever. We have a thing to get done. And the Fremen are like, fuck yeah, this is a dope prophet. Are you kidding me? This guy's great. Yeah, it's impressive. It's impressive stuff. That's a great point. Now- a couple of years of research later, Pardot has to take care of another little problem because he has to negotiate with the Spacing Guild. And in 10,153 AG, Pardot approaches guild representatives and basically bribes them. <laughs> and right. <laughs> right. Basically, he says, hey, we're going to give you a ton of spice because you value and need spice. You will make sure that above the deep desert and particularly above where some of our secret like stations are where we're growing stuff and collecting water there will be no satellites it'll be a no fly zone you will never allow any ships to fly over these areas yeah and the guild agrees i mean the bribes were just too good it's just so crazy to see so many of these elements coming into place all at the behest of literally pardo kinds yeah right this is a major thing that the Atreides Council talks about. Yeah. Like they're like, why won't the guild let us fly ships over certain areas? Here we go. Here's the answer. Because of Pardo and the Fremen. Pardo kinds. Because he knew it would become visible from space and he didn't want anybody to know. So he set this up like 50 years prior to any of the shit we see. It's so nuts. I have four yeah. years, but yeah crazy it's impressive again the invisible hand of pardo kinds is just all over the story of dune yeah now at this time pardo and mitha welcomed their son or nor daughter but in this in this case their son liet kinds into the world in the year 10156 ag now unfortunately mitha passed away shortly after due to an accident not really said what happened uh 
But Liette was, as we'll talk about in a future episode, basically raised among the other Fremen of Siege to Burr, kind of by Fremen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not very much by his father. Right. But that's that's the birth of Liette. Liette Kynes. There you are. That's right. And we plan on doing a entire episode dedicated to Liette in the future. So stay tuned for that. Very weird if we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> now, one other event that we should call out that happened around this time in Pardo's life is in the year 10,157 AG, mm-hmm. just a year after the birth of his son, Pardo meets a young man from Siege Umbu named oh. Stilgar. Stilgar! Oh, love him. Our boy Stilgar. Oh, what a great dude. And Stilgar, even at this young age, even early on, extremely impressive. Yeah. And he catches Pardo's eye, who then recruits him to help with planting missions and basically to help him as part of his ambitions. Right. Because to be clear, Stilgar is 16. Right. Just a teenager. And in the following year, so impressed by this 16-year-old who's like commanding other Fremen and he's got clear charisma and he can just, you know, he draws everything that I think. I, I think about what Jessica says about Stilgar, right? When she meets him in Dune, she's like, here's a man who's comfortable in in command. And yeah. like, oh yeah, he has that that magnetism and that influence over people. I imagine that that was visible even when he was 16 in the way he dealt with his peers. So the following year, Pardo goes back to Siege to Burr and he brings Stilgar with him. He's like, listen, you're great. I want you to be my personal assistant. I want you to work with me. I want to continue working with you. Come with me back to Siege to Burr. And he does. Stilgar goes with him and remains, as we know, at Siege to Burr until we meet him in Dune. Right. And we will talk a lot about Stilgar's journey in the Liet episode, as it turns out, because their lives are very intertwined. But also, uh, we should do a Stilgar episode at some point. Just yeah, we like really should. spoiler-heavy Stilgar episode that just talks about his whole life. Yeah, yeah. That'd be good. Yeah, a huge character in the story. And once again... Pardo's invisible hand is the one that brings him to Siege to Burr and sets him on that collision course with Paul Atreides. Right. Amazing. Right. Okay, we all knew this was coming. Death is inevitable for us all. It's true. As we always remind you on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Death is forever looming, listener. (laughs) And of course, Pardo is no exception. The rest of Pardo's life leading up to his death are basically spent remotely monitoring the progress of all of his plans in the deep desert. He can't travel himself there too often because he is basically under constant Harkonnen surveillance. Right. So he's he's working remotely like many of us. <laughs> yeah. All of this, of course, is kept super secret from the Harkonnens. All happens under their noses. Although people do know, of course, that he has taken a Fremen wife and that he has had a Fremen child. And there are some sort of behind-the-back jokes made about Pardo going quote-unquote native. Right. But nothing is ever truly said to his face. Because at the end of the day, he is still the imperial planetologist. He still holds that title with all of the authority and respect that comes with it. And so no one is really going to talk shit to his face. But plenty of chatter behind his back. Yeah. About how he is too involved with these native Fremen barbarians. Right. This is really where the disconnect between like 
the Harkonnen perception of what he's doing and what he's actually doing is the deepest. Because, of course, they see him as like playing in the sand. He's got himself like a Fremen girl, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Dude's out here basically building the foundation of a modern Arrakis ecosystem from the ground up. Yeah. Because it's during this period that Pardo imports plants and also animals to Arrakis. Literally, the Dune Encyclopedia gives him credit for, during this period, bringing animals like foxes, mice, owls, desert hawks, various birds and different bugs and insects, scorpions, right? All of these pieces of the ecosystem, it's wild. But ultimately, we also then see Pardo's parents and, you know, interplanetary uh, transplanting of plants and animals yeah. and biology and ecology and all of these things coming together. It's really cool and baffling to think about. At some point, Paul and Leto and maybe Liette are talking about the animals that they see in Arrakis and to think that Liette's father is the one that brought them there really like adds a new flavor to those moments. Right. I don't know. It's just so cool. Yeah. No, truly. It it adds depth and nuance to those scenes and to our understanding of what, like the interpersonal relationships happening there. Right. Nevertheless, in the year 10,175 AG, our boy Pardo, at the ripe old age of only 54 years old, yeah. dies. Yeah. He and a party of Fremen end up trapped in a landslide near one of these water basins he's worked so hard to establish, and they all lose their lives. The Fremen do retrieve the bodies from this landslide and render them for their water, as is tradition. But out of respect for Pardo Kynes, their prophet, the man with the plant, they seal this particular water cache. Yeah. And in a ceremony, dedicate this entire pool of water to the spirit of Pardo Kynes. They basically cordon off this water and like, nope, this one's not part of the plan. This one we are dedicating entirely to the spirit and memory of the prophet. Yeah. Which when you know how important water is to the Fremen, yeah, this is a deeply meaningful act. It's, I mean, it's nuts. We'll share a quote from the Dune Encyclopedia in a second, but I just want to stress this could be thousands of gallons of water. Yeah, yeah. For one man? Are you kidding me? But that's, I guess, what he meant to him. That's what he meant to them. True. And here's an excerpt from the Dune Encyclopedia right. that puts some of this in context. Quote, It was believed, according to one account of this unusual act, that the water would not return to the ground system until the ecological transformation was nearly complete. In this way. Kynes would be a participant in the process he had begun long after his actions in the real world had been abruptly halted, end quote. That's just so, wow. I love it. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> I'm a romantic, so that's the kind of gesture that's like <laughs> fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Planet's almost done. Planet's almost green. Dream's almost there. Hey, let's tap open that Pardo cache and let's get our boy involved again. Yeah. I love it. Bring him back, bring his memory back. It's beautiful. Considering how important water is to Fremen culture and to this plan, this dream that they're now chasing, and what it meant to Pardot. Right. So many layers to this gesture. Yeah. 
Also, interesting parallel that he was killed by a la- <laughs> by Arrakis. <laughs> like, yeah. In the book, Liet's killed by a sand blow or spice blow. So interesting that Pardo lost his life to a sandslide or like a landslide. Yeah. Yep. Kind of beautiful in a poetic, morbid kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Again, those thematic parallels. These two men that dedicated their lives and their loves to this planet are ultimately ended by it. Tragic and beautiful. Yeah. So that's the life of the one and only Pardo Kynes. Yeah. One of the most uh, laughably confident men, apparently, to ever <laughs> exist. <laughs> and someone who uh-huh. spent a lifetime defined by setting goals and fucking uh, crushing them. Yeah, yeah. One after the other, simply through hard work and study. And it's admirable. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from the life of Pardo Kynes. And he's not the only scientist, actually, that we've talked about on this podcast who has lived an incredible life. True. Yeah. Norma Sebna, Aurelius Venport, Spacing Guild, immediately right. comes to mind here. And no doubt they were brilliant as well. But I think what Pardo really accomplishes is building this infrastructure for this dream that he had that continued after he died. Right. It didn't matter that he was taken in a landslide. The Fremen planned to continue for the next hundreds of years, for dozens of generations, until Arrakis has changed forever. That's the impact he left on this people and on this planet. Right. Like, if you look back on his decisions, he began involving Fremen such that they would be ready to continue even if he wasn't there. And then when his son was old enough, and I think it was after Liet first wrote a sandworm and kind of proved himself a full Fremen, Pardo was like, let's get you involved in learning what I do as a planetologist Yeah. so that that role isn't ever lost right Mm -hmm. so totally i think about the brilliance of some of these people is what they do but also the way they set up the systems they set in motion such that they don't just crumble to dust the moment they die right it's brilliant and it's worth appreciating especially as we look at our own lives and right what we do it's like how much time do we think about infrastructure and sustainability with what will be around in a hundred years. Yeah. Maybe you're an artist and you're deciding what types of paint to use, or maybe you're the head of a company and you're thinking about what technologies to use in your manufacturing. It's like that long vision is so admirable. Yeah. It's cool. Or maybe you're a podcaster watching your life crumble around your eyes (laughs) and you're wondering how much of you will be left when you're gone, you know, and the existential dread sometimes really (laughs) seeps in and you lay awake staring at the ceiling at night. And yeah, what are we talking about? I don't know. I spilled coffee on my (laughs) interface like two weeks ago and sometimes it disconnects. So that feels very existential, you know, (laughs) it's also, and I brought this up twice already, but just to kind of put a bow on it, how much the Missionaria Protectiva, I think, set the stage for Kynes. Yeah. And I do wonder how far he would have gotten if not for those Bene Gesserit legends. Right. And also, Jesus, the Bene Gesserit did the Missionaria Protectiva in case Bene Gesserit, you know, sisters ever needed help, but also to like set the stage for the Kwisatz Haderach at the end of their 90 generation breeding program. 
But good Lord, look at the other things that are happening because of this. Yeah. I don't know. The unintended consequences of the Missionaria Protectiva that don't even have anything to do with Paul Atreides or, you know, the the supposed child of the child of who Paul was, whatever. That really strikes me in all of this. Like, they did all of this for their own purposes, but there are these secondary and tertiary effects from the Missionaria Protectiva that they probably are not even aware of which really just drives home how irresponsible I think a lot of the Bene Gesserit like, policy is. Um, <laughs> but that's maybe a conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's such a great point. And that's it for Pardo. Yeah. From his childhood on Paseo to his time on Ikaz to Topaz and finally his life and death on Arrakis. Yeah. Those are some huge shoes to fill for our boy Liet. What an incredible life he's led. Man, we'll have to talk about that at some point. <laughs> yeah, what size shoe is Pardo, do you think? Mm. Based on confidence, 19. <laughs> Just a size 19 shoe. Well, let's wrap up today's episode with a couple of questions. Kind of yeah. fun little queries. Let's do it. Abu, we joked about how harsh Pardo was in Liet's hallucinations. Right. We were like, man, seems like a bummer of a dad. Yeah. <laughs> it's like lecturing his son as <laughs> his son's dying slowly. Has learning more about Pardo changed maybe how you see him, and especially in those moments, but like your perspective on Pardo as a character? That's a great question. I don't know that it's made me like him more or made my stance <laughs> sure. on him softer. Yeah. Because hallucination daddy Pardo is mean. <laughs> He's still an asshole. <laughs> yeah, it's still an asshole. Yeah. But I think it has certainly given me more context for why he acted the way he did. Right. And for the type of man that he was. Because it's clear, after having done the research for this episode and talked about it on this podcast here, it's clear that Pardo was the kind of person who decided, I'm going to do a thing. And then literally moved heaven and earth. Right. Murder, lest we forget, <laughs> was not a barrier to achieving a goal for him. <laughs> right. Literally moved heaven and earth to achieve that thing he set his mind to in such a way that, like, frankly, left people speechless or, in the Fremen's case, left people totally worshiping him. Right. And knowing that his colleagues often considered him to be kind of, like, aloof and cold— now totally makes sense. Right. And it actually puts that hallucination chapter with Liette in context for us, because that's exactly how he comes off in that chapter as well. A bit aloof and cold and only ever focused on his dream and his studies and the science of it all. Right, right. And the encyclopedia doesn't tell us too much about the kind of father that Perdo was. We will touch on it in the Liette episode a little bit. But we don't know sort of the day-to-day interactions that Pardo had with his son. Right. But for better or worse, I like to think that Pardo probably took to parenting just like every other task in life. Very clinical, very scientific, just another job to basically like conquer through work and study. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're kind of missing the equation of love and affection and nurturing in parenting there. You can't approach parenting clinically in that way right and, th- and that's probably what led to that re- relationship 
that sort of troubled relationship that's hinted at between Liette and Pardo. Yeah. So uh, that that's, I guess, sort of a long-winded roundabout way of me saying, no, it doesn't make me softer on Pardo and doesn't necessarily make me like him more in the Dune book, but it does help me understand him more. Right. What about you? Is your opinion on Pardo changed after learning so much about his life? So here's the thing. Yes, but mostly because of this whole story I've come up with in my head. Oh, okay. Hear me out. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay. Dune Encyclopedia doesn't talk about this, but my theory is Pardo was deeply traumatized by his parents' death and never got over it. Ooh, okay. So here's here's my pitch. He clearly looked up to him, right? We see, as a kid, following in their footsteps, day one, clearly, enacting their wisdom as an adult, right? Implementing things he sh- I'm sure he learned from them his whole life, and yet they died suddenly when he was still so young. And yeah, he wasn't like prioritizing visiting them, but he was taking his schooling seriously, as I'm sure they did. Yeah. Now, can you imagine a world in which they're dying in a fucking lecture at a university because of an accidental glow spore incident? Yeah. Can you imagine that would impact his evaluation of life? How fragile is life if you can die attending a lecture? Yeah. Maybe it's not so crazy, then, to take ballsy, risky choices. To say, yeah, I'm going to slip-tip a couple of Harkonnens and then walk into a siege. It's fine. And the Fremen are like, Jesus, what the fuck happened to this guy in the past? And he's like, glow spores. Glow spores. Killed both my parents. It, You know, it's a disregard for his personal safety. And ultimately, with something that traumatic, I don't think it's unreasonable that he would do everything to lose himself in his work. Now, either to make them proud and to kind of live up to the memory of his parents, or as his like primary coping mechanism, because our celibate dudes out here with nothing except for his studies and his school, my man's was ready for university at 10 years old, probably. Yeah. All he knows is studying. I think that's his coping thing. And I think he leaned into that. I think this could also explain why Pardo was distant with his son, with his family, with his friends. Can you be hurt if someone dies and you barely know them? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Totally 100% invented (laughs) by me. But I think it's weird how the Dune Encyclopedia moves on without talking about the actual effect that his parents' death had on him. I think that this is a gaping hole in the story. And I think that answering that question potentially softens him as a character dramatically. Yeah. And we see a life dedicated to science because at any moment you might die, (laughs) whether by a slip tip or by randomly released glow spores in a lecture hall at UC Berkeley. (laughs) Anything's fucking possible. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that is a part of his personality inevitably and i didn't have any sense of that before this episode right so knowing more about that maybe trauma in his life and the type of parents he came from i think it makes all a lot more sense and he seems a lot less uh sociopathic (laughs) and he seems a lot more just man on a mission in a way that is admirable more human yeah more human indeed that's my answer um but let's lighten it 
now that I've talked about glow spores and death and <laughs> trauma. <laughs> death is inevitable, listener. Death is inevitable. Never forget. As we, it's part of our housekeeping from now on. <laughs> Just subscribe to our Patreon. Check out our merch store. Also, the death. one guy who loves housekeeping is going to be <laughs> stoked about yeah. that. Just remember, listen, email us at Gumshop Our Podcast. Also, death, totally inevitable. <laughs> Every housekeeping. Let's lighten the mood. Uh, yeah. Final question. Silly, but let's do it. Mitha, Pardo. Yes. First date. Abu, what'd they do? What was their first date? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they both swiped right. They matched. Where are they going? <laughs> Only Seach or whatever it's. <laughs> yeah. Seacher. Uh, uh, <laughs> Seacher. Seacher. <laughs> Look, I don't think Pardo Kynes is the romantic sure. with the great date ideas. <laughs> Based on what? <laughs> Based on everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get you. <laughs> so I think their first date was probably pretty boring. Sure. Pardo definitely took Mitha to one of his labs, to one of the ecological testing stations. He probably talked her ear off about all of the cool experiments he's doing, all of the things he's discovered, definitely about his dream for a green arrakis. I think Mitha was probably more interested in him than he was in her. Mm -hmm. But I think his passion and his genuine intelligence shined through and probably won her over at the end of the day. Sure. And regardless of how bad that date might have went at the testing station, uh -huh. I do think they ended the night by going back to either her apartment or his apartment and uh, doing some experimentation of their own, maybe making some discoveries for themselves, right? if you know what I mean. <laughs> and it's clear that, you know, in addition to his, his passion and his knowledge, Pardo is a well-established, confident dude. Capital C confident guy, almost to a fault. Right. And in my experience, confidence is key. Confidence gets you far. It's hot. In a lot yeah. of in a lot of romantic relationships. Yeah. Like to it's put it sexy. simply, confidence is sexy. It's hot. And the last thing I'll say is I know we're not talking about Brian stuff on today's episode, but in that House of Trades comic book that we mentioned earlier, right. Pardo is a total hottie. Like we joke <laughs> yeah. in those episodes about how good his hair is. He's yep. a total babe. He's looking good. And I'm sure that didn't hurt. Right. I'm sure Mitha was like, damn, this guy's smart, looks good, confident. I'm down. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Do you think the first date was awkward or did it go surprisingly smoothly? So I think it went one of two ways. Okay. Either Pardo just proposed to this woman before knowing her name. <laughs> like he walked up and he was like, marriage, you and me. Yeah. <laughs> You want to go halvesies on a baby? <laughs> Confidence. And she's like, holy shit, he must be a prophet from God. That's insane. <laughs> and she just respected the gumption so much she said yes. Or in kind of a comedy of errors, their first date, quote unquote, was only a date for Mitha. <laughs> like, <laughs> Pardo was like, can you come with me? I'd love your company on a nighttime stroll and she's like wow oh my god this date's gonna oh be god. so exciting Romantic. and he's like yeah because i need someone to carry samples and uh <laughs> my like my arm's still sore because i was doing this so later on you know stillgar is like did you two just go on a date and they answer at the same time but she says yes and he says no oh my god i can picture it now i feel like that's something pardo would do and then pardo 
realized later and he's like oh gosh that's so embarrassing and i'm still a virgin like i don't know how this stuff works and i do need a kid <laughs> so okay mitha let's let's get it i don't know i, love I mean it is possible for sure that he super seriously loved mitha but also there's like a couple of lines in the dune encyclopedia how he like wanted a kid as a means of securing his legacy and the future of his dream yeah, yeah. like i need someone to be around who can continue my work which feels very utilitarian and I don't know. It could be that he was like super in love with her. <laughs> I think it's more likely that it's like I, this was another hurdle to overcome in his plan. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> taking life and creating life all part of the plan, you know? Yeah. What if he was some egghead? Just yeah, I need a Fremen woman to have a child <laughs> with. And Mitha's like, oh, OK, well, he is the prophet of God. So I guess right. I'll, yeah. I'm sure it didn't hurt that he was the prophet. I think that's the thing we're both leaving out is you don't say no when the prophet asks you out on a date, no matter how boring. What's that? His parents were killed by glow spores? That's sad. Oh, my God. I feel sorry for him. He's a virgin? Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, sure. I can fix him. I can fix fix him. (laughs) Oh, it's the saddest way it's going to end for... (laughs) Yeah, an incredible life, but not a particularly romantic one, I'd say. No, not at all. (laughs) Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Mwadeep and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path. It's like if Batman graduated college and then had to go study fucking bats in a cave. Yeah, I'm now a bat researcher. It's like, really? <laughs> Also, no, no, he, bats didn't kill his parents. What? (laughs) Oh my God, I have that so wrong. (laughs) Yeah, the famous story of Batman where that one giant bat (laughs) mugged his mother. Holy shit.